0: The Jewish Views on Jerusalem, it's official, America and President Donald Trump recognizes it as the capital of Israel. Celebrate with Denise Phillips, that's the new cookbook from our very own Jewish domestic goddess. And we meet one of the winners from the Dating Awards 2017, who's won based on her traditional ways of helping people.
1: But first, with a roundup of the Jewish News this week, I'm Vivian Krieger. President Trump has formally recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, reversing nearly seven decades of American foreign policy and setting in motion a plan to move the United States Embassy from Tel Aviv to the fiercely contested holy city. Already, there's been a strong backlash from around the world, led by Arab and Muslim outrage. France and the UK said they did not support the decision. Turkey threatened to cut ties with Israel. Saudi Arabia called it irresponsible. The Saudis are crucial in promoting a possible Middle East peace deal. But the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, hailed it an historic day. The Top of the Pops presenter, Reggie Yates, has stepped down from hosting the show after a well-publicised remark he made about Jewish music managers in a November podcast. Yates had acknowledged that saying he admired new singers for being independent and not managed by, quote, a random fat Jewish guy from Northwest London, was ill-considered and reinforced offensive stereotypes. In Israel, two men were arrested after the death of a 19-year-old soldier in Tel Aviv. The men, who are Bedouin from the Negev, are believed to have stabbed Ron Yitzhak Kukir, who was waiting for a bus. One admitted the killing. Shin Bet, Israel's security agency, says the murder was a terrorist attack. Hundreds attended Kukia's funeral at the weekend. Jacos, the Jewish secondary school in New Barnet, has announced that an extra class will be created in time for September 2018 due to a record number of applications for places. The head teacher, Patrick Moriarty, said that the extra 30 places will make the intake for that academic year 210 students. Parents who'd been struggling to get their children into a Jewish secondary in Barnet were told last year to send them to Whitefield School in Cricklewood instead, but take-up was apparently patchy. And finally, a Jewish war veteran who, as a lieutenant colonel, commanded Muslim troops in Burma between 1942 and 1945, has been honoured by the University of Sunderland at the age of 101. Mordent Cohen settled in the northeast after the war and worked as a solicitor. The university has awarded him an honorary fellowship in recognition of his 48-year association with it. That's the news for now. Andrew has the sport.
2: Thank you very much, Viv. British cycling star Chris Froome has announced that he'll participate in the 2018 Giro d'Italia. The reigning Tour de France champion made the announcement during the official unveiling of the 21-day stage race, which bringing together 176 of the world's top cyclists will start with three days in Israel next May. Russell Goldstein has helped England's futsal team win its first ever competition. Taking part in a four-team home nations tournament, Goldstein, who plays Sunday morning Maccabi football for Redbridge, scored in the Three Lions' winner-takes-all clash against Scotland, to seal their first piece of silverware since being formed in 2004. And finally, a lifelong Tottenham Hotspur fan has been recognised for his loyal support to the North London side. 95-year-old Alfred Leader has been following the Lily Whites for 83 years, and was presented with a signed t-shirt by six Spurs legends, Prior to their recent match at Wembley against West Brom. Don't forget, you can keep up to date with all the latest Jewish sport at jewishnews.co.uk. Andrew, thank you
0: very much indeed. Hello there and welcome to this episode of The Jewish Views. I'm Phil Dave. Let's start off, as we usually do, with a glance through your copy of The Jewish News for this week. Joining me to go through it is editor Richard Ferrer and supplements editor Bridget Grant. Welcome to you both. And I'm sure this will come as no surprise that there is pretty much only one story in town and on the front page. And I am, of course, talking about Jerusalem and the heading reads, The Right Thing to Do.
3: Yeah, he's only gone and done it. Donald Trump has only gone and declared unilaterally that Jerusalem, the eternal holy city, is the officially going to be recognised by the United States as the capital city of Israel. And this isn't just symbolic. He's actually going to move lock, stock and barrel. He's going to turn the consulate in Jerusalem to the actual embassy. it would be very interesting to see if any other of, of Israel's staunchest allies go ahead and actually follow suit and do this too. I'm thinking Canada potentially India, there's an amazing relationship between those two countries now, and some of those post-Soviet states in the east of Europe, like Turkmenistan and Kurdistan, that always vote for Israel at the United Nations. So it's extraordinary. A stopped watch is, is correct twice in 24 hours, and this is the first time that Donald Trump has been right. I've I'm, I'm just been walking in a Trump wonderland these past few hours, delighted that the man has uh, decided that Iran and at the other side of things, Saudi Arabia, cannot dictate terms in the Middle East any longer. They're going to make some big decisions. And these big Arab states that like to wield their power and their muscle can like it or lump it. So well done, Mr. President. Good move. Be very interesting to see what happens from here.
0: Well, I think that's exactly the problem, isn't it, Bridget? That it will be very interesting to see what happens here. And unfortunately, as we'll hear later on in this programme, not everyone in the community
4: and in global Jewry is that excited by it. They're actually quite worried. Oh, yes. I mean, there's loads of columnists, Jewish colonists coming out and saying you know, how disgraceful it is. Already
0: we are seeing the ramifications of it. We've already experienced and seen that in Bethlehem there are massive protests going on. Here in London there is a massive protest planned for this weekend outside the American embassy. And it's all as a result of this frankly extraordinary decision which although we were warned about, although we knew it was coming, although we knew Mr Trump said from the word go that he had every intention of doing this. Did
4: any of us actually think it was going to happen? Who knows. But the protest thing—I mean, you know, what don't they protest about? You know, a cartoon. You know, somebody says the wrong thing. There's always a protest. And and this figure that people keep saying it's made 1.5 million Muslims very angry. This idea that these 1.5 million Muslims are furious about this. And um, I—I one thing that really troubles me is that why we think it's not okay for Israel to decide where its capital is if the government decided to make the capital Manchester here tomorrow, but I happen to be born in London. What right do I have to say? But I've got London on my passport and it's the capital and, and I don't want it changed. I'm just a citizen. Right? I don't have that right. So this is, this is the complexities of it and the way it will be discussed on and on and on. But the problem about Trump is he does, he's a bit of a foot in the mouth job, isn't
3: well, he? Well, the, the, the thing about Trump is that the word used use complexity I don't think he has any. He's just decided to shake up the status quo. And I don't even think he he worries about what the repercussions of that are going to be. But you're right. Every single time Israel does anything that is perceived to be something that the Arab states can attack and criticize and be hypocritical about, yeah, Hamas will say we're opening up the gates of hell and there'll be massive protests and huge demonstrations. And after prayers on Friday, there's rocks thrown, all sorts of things. This is going to happen again. But now it's a different situation because this big symbolic gesture has has been made. It's not going to change anything day to day, but in terms of the political atmosphere, as I said at the beginning, Is anybody going to follow suit? And the other problem is there's only one honest broker to peace in the Middle East. There's only one superpower that can achieve that, and that's America. And right now it's shown its hand, so there is no broker anymore. So any solution has to come from the Arab states, from the Arab League at this point until the Trump administration has, has breathed its last.
0: Well, it will certainly be very interesting to see what happens as a result of it, and I dare say it will carry on for a few months yet. Okay, well, let's look at some of the other stories making the paper this week, and what's this about a hackathon that you were a judge on, Rich?
3: Yes, I was down at Work Avenue in Finchley last weekend at uh, this extraordinary event organised by Jewish Interactive, which is this wonderful organisation that is reinventing how children learn in the classroom, interactive technology. They set up a hackathon. They gave these kids, about 50 of them, all teenagers, apart from one group of primary school kids from Etz Chaim, who were phenomenal and I have to give a big shout out to them. They gave them a day to develop an app, to create an app that will uh, help them, overcome obstacles in the classroom tutoring sharing tips exam advice etc and they all pitched to these incredible people on the judging panel and me in front of an audience of a hundred and we asked them questions about how you're going to commercialise this and why are people going to think it's compelling and why would they come back and it was a dragon's den atmosphere and they were so sharp and they came up with these brilliant ideas and they actually developed the app so you could actually play with it on your phone and download it the winning team called Better Learning. They are going to go forward and pitch it in a larger environment. They might actually see their app developed and actually end up on Android and on iPhones. And other teams got tours of Google headquarters and mentoring. So just phenomenal. When I was at school, Bridget, it was blackboards, abacus. Now it's all iPads and technology. It's fantastic.
0: And can I just declare that even though I don't consider myself to be that old, even I don't remember really an age beyond whiteboards and maybe occasional computers here and there, certainly more towards the later years in my school life, computers are very much a thing in the early days, forget it. You just had to be privileged few who had access to computers. I,
4: I go into schools to talk about the early days, and when I take in a typewriter, of which I have several at home... I thought you were going to say when you took in your quill. No, thank you, thank you so much. Yes, yes, you can hear one, one the bones all. creaking. One when all. I take in the typewriter, ta- <laughs> most of the kids go, what is that? I, m-
3: I must draw your attention to a picture I, I saw of Bridget, I must have earlier this year. It's a black and white image from another Jewish newspaper. Other Jewish newspapers are available in the 80s, and she sat there with a typewriter and a fag in a
2: mouth <laughs> writing some feature
3: and it was, you know, smoke-filled newsroom.
4: Yeah, even the Jewish newspapers were smoke-filled then.
3: <laughs> Lovely. So, yeah, the, the, the way technology has transformed everyone's life, not just in the classroom, is astronomical.
0: Well, really quickly, let's hope somewhere that is not smoke-filled is Camp Simcha because, Bridget, what's going on with Camp Simcha this right, week? Right,
4: well, the big news is I dressed as Minnie Mouse this week, more for the charity Camp Simcha than for the newspaper, but it's a wonderful way of taking part in their toy drive which they do annually they had more toys given than ever before this year. The haters do it, the schools do it, nurseries do it, they all give and then they have a packing day which was last week at Yavna on Sunday and then they all get distributed to 110 hospitals and hospices and my daughter goes to a stage school, Baby Spice also goes, her child is at that school and I asked her on the weekend whether or not she would come to the hospital to kind of raise the profile of the giving which was wonderful. Interestingly, and I have actually made this point in the paper this week that it is incredibly hard to get celebrities of the faith to align themselves to these charities. It's heartbreaking that they don't actually. They're very happy to go on and talk about their long lost families and their family trees and share their chicken soup recipes, but don't ask them to align themselves. And I have to say that Emma Bunton not only gave up a considerable amount of time just thrilled the nurses and a couple of doctors by being there but her interest in the charity and what they do and the key thing here is that Camp Simcha gives the presents to children of all denominations this is not a a Jewish event per se it's just run by Jewish people and that is what warms my heart about it because it is the very essence of the festive period for me because it's us giving to everyone you know maybe that should be our mantra for everything in the world. Lovely.
0: OK, well, thank you very much indeed. Always nice to end on some positive news. That is indeed where we have to end this look at the paper. Thank you both very much indeed for that. Don't forget you can pick up your copy of The Jewish News every Thursday across London or you can always read the e-paper online at jewishnews.co.uk. Well, as you've been hearing, President Donald Trump made a rather impressive speech this week to say that he and America officially recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and included in that his intention to move the Israeli embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. But it's not necessarily everyone who's pleased about that news. And joining me on the line now is Aaron Nissan, who's a project coordinator for Peace Now, the Israeli organization. Aaron, perhaps could you start by telling us exactly how your organization reacts to this news from President Donald Trump?
5: From our point of view, this is not a good day for those who seek peace in the Middle East. Because President Trump's remarks represent a unilateral move, which will ultimately destabilize the region. Furthermore, deepen the sentiments of fear, animosity, and mistrust between the Israeli side and the Palestinian side. And those unilateral moves, those one-sided actions are not good for the trust and not good for the goodwill needed to build a fruitful dialogue between the sides. But Aaron, surely
0: this is the the news that the global jury has been waiting for a long time for, at last, you know, recognition from the most powerful country in the world that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. I, I thought that's what the ultimate, one of the ultimate goals was, no?
5: Yes, and I would be happy to see not only a declaration, but not only words, but actions. I would like to see international embassies in the Israeli capital of West Jerusalem side by side with those embassies on the Palestinian side on East Jerusalem. And I hope that the U.S. embassy will move to the Israeli capital of West Jerusalem on the same day that the U.S. embassy to Palestine will go and and be moved to East Jerusalem. Those unilateral moves, this, the, the declaration who President Trump, did or said what he said in spite of outspoken objection from the arab leaders and the arab world if we want to solve this conflict if we want to see less violence and less hatred and less destruction and suffering we need to do it with negotiations we need to talk we need to have a dialogue that is based on goodwill and on trust and what happened yesterday is the opposite of that unilateral moves, provocations against the Palestinian and the Arab narrative. I don't need the American president to tell me what's my capital is, but I know that this is not good. The declaration does not breed faith and trust and goodwill. It does the opposite. It undermines the peace process, It destabilized the region, and it will result in violence in hatred, in animosity, and in the continue clashes and distrust between Israel and Palestine. But of
0: course, though, to be fair to President Trump, he has actually said that at no point when he made this announcement was he, as he put it, picking sides. America still remains very much at the heart and its focus to be on trying to ultimately come up with a peace solution. So he must believe that and his government must believe, that this will be a step in the right direction. Because as he put it, for the last 20 years that presidents of past have not recognized Jerusalem as the capital city of Israel, There's still not really any closer to peace. So,
5: surely something different needs to be done, no? Yes, but I don't think this is the right move. The moves and the actions that we need to promote are negotiations our peace process, bilateral or multilateral negotiations in order to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. and maybe the Israeli-Arab conflict, but the fact that something needs to be done doesn't mean that unilateral moves, provocations against the Arab leaders is the right thing to do. And I'm afraid that in the upcoming couple of weeks we will see the consequences and the repercussions of this unilateral move. Now, you can see the reactions from the Arab world. You can see the reaction from EU members. You can see the reaction from all over the world. Those who want peace in the Middle East should aspire to find the middle ground and to find an honest dialogue between the sides. And you can see the reactions from the Israeli right-wing settlement movement. You can see the Israeli government are happy. But they're happy because they got a prize or they got a confirmation of their position, political position, but we are not closer today to ending the conflict than we were yesterday. And I would dare say that we became further away from solving this conflict.
0: Well, I'm guessing that the reactions have been a bit mixed because there are images that have made their way over here to the UK, seeing the old city lit up with the Israeli flag next to the American flag. So there must be some people in Israel who are jubilant about this announcement. What would you say the general feeling is overall in the country?
5: I think that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is the most polarizing issue in Israeli society and Israeli politics. That's what divides left and right in Israel. Unlike other countries. So if you consider yourself a left-wing in Israel, you support the two-state you are On one side and you hold certain positions concerning the conflict and if you're right-wing you have different positions and The Israeli society is polarized is split in half so you can see a lot of right-wing israelis who are very happy that the american president confirmed what all of us know that jerusalem is our capital but you can see that the left-wing politician and left-wing i consider myself the left-wing i'm a peace activist if i want to see this conflict come to an end i know that it must be done by bilateral and multilateral moves with the involvement of the international community And the EU and the UN and the US should help resolve this conflict, but not by provocations and not by doing moves that will jeopardize the stability of the region, because President Trump will not have to suffer or deal with violent clashes this weekend or the deepening of the mistrust and the... Minimizing the cooperation between the Palestinian Authority and the Israeli Army Authority and the Israeli government So uh, for you to answer your question, there are mixed reactions from Israel You can see a lot of people happy, but I would say that this is not a good day for those who seek peace
0: Well, Aaron Nissan, thank you very much indeed for speaking to us on this episode of the Jewish views And I dare say that if your worries come to fruition We may very well speak again in the coming months. You are listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. And still to come on this edition, Clive Rosalind will be here for our Jewish schmooze. Today, Clive and Tony will be joined by founder of Mitzvah Day, Laura Marks, and photographer Avi Vachman. And they'll be discussing what you've just been hearing about the situation in Israel and America officially recognizing Jerusalem as its capital. But first, there's no denying that one thing Jews are absolutely synonymous with is food, as we have proven frequently on this very programme when we've spoken to our Jewish domestic goddess Denise Phillips for various recipes inspired by the festive time of year. Well, we thought we'd go that one step further. Denise has just released herself a cookbook, one of a number of cookbooks that she's released, called Celebrate Every Day with Denise Phillips. It is released in aid of high cancer care and our very own arts editor Kate. Kate Fulton has been speaking to Denise to find out more about it. And if you're lucky, you'll also get a recipe for Hanukkah as well. Kate started by asking Denise to tell us how she defines herself. Is she a cook or is she a chef?
6: I'd like to say that I'm a chef, but I'm a house chef. I'm not a chef at a restaurant. I'm a chef from a home. And it's more or less about cooking to perfection, cooking with flair, cooking with style. But not actually going to restaurants to do this. So, and I'm not a caterer. So it's cooking with inspiration using exciting ingredients, new ingredients, and in a stylish way.
7: People are still cooking, are they, given that there's so much ready meals, so many takeaways, young people are coming back from work and they're all busy and and sort of can't think of anything but their jobs. Are they actually then taking themselves to the kitchen to chop
6: up an onion when they get home from work? I think you've got a a mixture of people out there because the television programmes are oozing food, oozing, oh, in, in you know, different things going on about food and making you very health conscious. And the food manufacturers are doing their very best to make you eat better. And the doctors and the NHS are trying to make you eat healthier. So it's almost halfway house. There are, you know, quick fixes. And there's people like me that want to make anything easy when you know how. So I love to teach. And that's what I do. I do lots of cookery classes
7: we're coming you know sort of to winter season i suppose we are in the winter season really and coming up for hanukkah and people tend to think of it as as comfort eating if you will sort of lots of dollops of, of, of fat to keep you going how do you do you cook differently in the winter month
6: I like to cook them very much in season, so root vegetables, you know, soups and stews, and it's very it's comforting. Why not? I mean, tonight, what am I going to make for dinner? I mean, it's something, a mashed potato and something, you know, a stew it is divine, and it makes you feel good. Otherwise, you're only going to be stacking on the wrong things, and that doesn't fill you up.
7: It's true, and you are a very svelte, petite person, so you obviously practice what you preach. I'm looking at this most gorgeous book that you've brought, Celebrate Every Day, which is a really lovely title. What are we celebrating?
6: We're celebrating every day. The book's in aid of high cancer care and enjoying eating and celebrating with our loved ones. They're not with us every day and we only realise it when they're not there. So the book is about celebrating meals, everyday meals and different types of meals from Friday night, midweek suppers, special occasions, Yontovs, birthdays, anniversaries, richly, everyday life.
7: And how have you, how did you sort of come up to with with a plan to do this this project with uh, High Cancer Care?
6: My father died in 2008 of bowel cancer and lung cancer. And the opportunity came up about raising money with High Cancer Care, and I had a book ready to go And one thing led to another, and this book was really produced within three months.
7: That's extraordinary, and it really does look, it does look like something to celebrate. I mean, we're not, it's not that we're worshipping food or or celebrating something insignificant. It's celebrating, as you say, the time together. And what have you got for us for for Hanukkah? What sort of
6: things are in the book? One of my favourite recipes is a beetroot luckers, and it's sort of a twist on the tradition
7: and they're pretty uh and yes well they are when you're in the
6: bowl rather than on your fingers oh. gosh don't they make your fingers red so definitely put gloves on when you make this so this recipe it, it does take a little bit of time only because it's a little messy but just to say it is uses for about 30 little lacquers, because you'll want at least to that for the hat family about 600 grams of raw red beetroot so not the vacuum one sort of cooked but the raw one 200 grams of potato peeled and coarsely grated 2 small onions again peeled and grated 2 tablespoons of tahini paste 1 tablespoon of ground coriander Tablespoon of fresh dill 200 grams of plain flour 100 grams of porridge oats two eggs beaten, salt and pepper. So let's kind of visualise what we're doing here. We've got the beetroot and the potatoes and onions, and you're going to grate this. Can they be spiralised or do they have to be grated? Spiralize is good. The key thing is to actually get all the liquid, the water out of that. So you literally what you're going to do is take a, an old tea towel, put all that mixture in and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze so all that liquid comes out because oil and water don't like each other. And once you've got all that water out, You can then have a really crispy laka. so to that mixture those grated vegetables you're then going to add your flavors which is the tahini paste the coriander the dill and binds it together with plain flour porridge oats and eggs and lots of salt and pepper so that is your mixture and then you're going to roll them into little balls and then fry them in and the key ingredient again here is rapeseed oil because it will not burn it is also good for you it's got omega 3 in it omega 6 and vitamin E
7: what shouldn't we use then?
6: because you hear a lot about the different oils olive oil because it will burn sunflower will burn more it will work but it will burn more so you will have to change your pan of oil more regularly so what you want that should really be a storeroom sort of staple you're saying rapeseed yes yes, definitely Definitely. So you're frying your latkes in the oil, the oil must be hot. Put your latkes in and then the other key thing about making them really crispy is transferring it onto a rack. None of this kitchen paper, put it onto kitchen paper they all go soggy and soaks it all up. So you transfer the latkes, you'll turn them over, cook them over for sort 2-3 of minutes till they're golden on both sides. Put it onto the rack. And then to finish it off in the oven, because then again, cook them on a rack in the oven, or excess oil will drip off, and you are left with a lovely, tasty, crispy lakka. And a lakka in Yiddish means an oily thing.
7: all right So we've learnt something there. That sounds that sounds really nice. And what what do you tend to? I mean, we talk about lakkas and we talk about donuts. What would you have, put with them for a meal on Hanukkah? Uh, do latkes is mean, it's not really with a salad would you put them with something well,
6: or are they a meal on their own they're not a meal on their own I mean you could certainly have fish with them why not a uh, you know, grilled piece of, of salmon and this particular I actually took with a little horseradish sour cream and fresh dill sauce so my little secret is a tablespoon of horseradish white horseradish sauce and then two tablespoons of apple puree mm. and a little sour cream and it's a wonderful Ashkenazi mix. It is divine. It's got a little bit of a kick and it works very well with beetroot luckers. I think that
7: sounds wonderful. Right, look forward to that and, and good luck with your book. Thank you. Thank you
6: very much.
0: Well, as is tradition, whenever Jewish domestic goddess Denise Phillips appears on this show, I am now salivating. Thank you very much indeed to her and, of course, to arts editor Kate Fulton there, who is finding out about Denise's new cookbook, Celebrate Every Day with Denise Phillips. And you can find out more information about it by going to our website, jewishviews.co.uk. You are listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News and still to come is our Jewish Schmooze. Don't forget to tune in to the live stream of The Schmooze every Thursday evening from 7pm Greenwich Mean Time. Now next week there will be no live stream of The Schmooze as our entire program will be coming live from Hanukkah in the square and therefore we will not have the facility to stream The Schmooze. I'll tell you more about that a little later on. But first, there's nothing more we like in Judaism than a good Shidduch, right? Of course, that is the art of matchmaking after all. Well, one of the winners of the UK Dating Awards for 2017 just happens to be Jewish matchmaker Jackie Van Loen, And she's been speaking to our community editor, Diana Toman about winning her award. Diana started by asking Jackie to tell us how it all began for her and her company, Matching Up.
8: Well, I was First of all, on the name matching up, I just was playing around with names really, and I just thought I really wanted something that would really just define exactly who. who I was and what my business was going to be and so matching up is because I match people up quite simply. When did you start? Well I started about a year ago just trying to set it up. I was working at the time and I was thinking about things that I could do outside of being employed and so I started to set it up and then I really launched it in July this year and it's been
9: incredibly busy. July this year, so you've hardly got off the ground, but it sounds as if you have actually got off the ground. Tell me, there there are an awful lot of dating agencies out there in the big wide world. Did you find a gap in the market?
8: Yes, I think there are a lot of dating agencies, but a lot of them are online. And where mine is different, if you like, I'm a traditional matchmaker. So I see people personally. It's not just based on what you look like for those few seconds that you see somebody on the internet and I just offer a more personal service getting to know you and being able to match you with somebody who will be actually very compatible to you.
9: Now, these, it sounds as if you actually get people to come and visit you or you go and visit them.
8: I do. I meet everybody on my network. And to be honest, I don't take everybody on because I want to be able to match people that are compatible, that have got something in common. And I like to think that I spend the time with those people getting to know them so that their personality
9: shines out. So that's how you, if I can put it in in quotes, how you vet them, if you like. What sort of characteristics are you really looking for in each of the clients?
8: Everybody's different and everybody will meet somebody different. But I think what I'm looking for is trust, first of all, and whether they're telling the truth. And I think that that's missing on the internet if you go on internet dating. So when I meet somebody, I really do ask them lots of questions, not only finding out what they like and what they dislike and who they want to meet, but about their past and about being truthful so that I can pass that on. And the other thing that I do that probably will set me apart is that I really look at people's security, I look at their ID, I find out, you know, if they're telling me that they're 30, are they really 30? Or are they actually 55? And what they've posted online has been a a photograph from years ago. So are they who they say they're going to be? Because I don't want to introduce them to anybody, knowing that there may be that problem.
9: I'm assuming that this is only Jews that we're talking about or maybe not it
8: isn't actually it is predominantly Jewish but it's not and I've had a wide client base so it's not particularly just Jewish but it is predominantly mainly because I'm living in northwest London
9: exactly and you're going across the whole spectrum of the religion from the secular to the to the very observant it's normally just modern traditionalists
8: really there's a need for everything and i'm hoping to fill that need
9: And how did you get nominated for the award? Was it one of your clients who was so delighted with you that put your name forward?
8: Oh, that would be lovely. How it actually happened was that, first of all, I was nominated and I won the Best Newcomer for the UK matchmaking, in the UK matchmaking industry. And so what happened was, was that I obviously was put forward by somebody I don't know who it was and I had to fill out a lot of forms I had to go through some kind of interview process and I went along to the awards evening and my name got called and I am absolutely delighted that I've won that award.
9: I'm sure you are. And I can't help feeling it's going to increase your client base somewhat. <laughs> I would hope so.
8: I would hope so it's that's added not, to your credentials. It has, but it's not really the reason I do it. I do it because I really want to make sure people are happy and that they're introduced to the right person.
0: One of the winners of the UK Dating Awards for 2017, Jackie Van Loen, speaking to community editor Diana Toman there. And if you would like more information, then you can always go to our website, jewishviews.co.uk. You are listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Normally at this point we'd hand over to Clive Roslin for our Jewish schmooze. But actually, we've got time to squeeze one more item in before we hear from the schmooze team for this week. Because those of you who get a copy of The Jewish News for next week will notice that there is a rather snazzy supplement involved that is all about Israel's guide dog centre – Well, their UK Executive Director, Martin Siegel, has joined me in the studio now to tell us a little more about the organisation. Martin, can we start off with why we're looking at Israel Guide Dog Centre now?
10: We're actually very excited at the moment because we're entering a new chapter in the history of our organisation with the building of our new puppy development and training campus, which I've actually been out to Israel to see. And we have a grand opening in April. And the point of that is we've just invested just over 14 million shekels in building it. And that donation, that that building actually has partly been funded by UK donors. So a big thank you to everyone who's helped with that. And what it's going to allow us to do is more than double our capacity to train and breed new guide dogs for Israel's 23,000 blind and visually impaired people goodness me and just to get this into some sense of context before
0: the Israeli guide dog center came along what happened then if I'm, am i right in thinking
10: that it was almost guide dogs had to be trained abroad and then brought into israel so the process was actually very difficult if you were israeli and blind you had to be able to have a very good level of english and you were then allowed to go to either America or here to the UK to train with an American guide dog school or UK guide dogs and get your guide dog here. Now that meant obviously that it precluded a lot of people who couldn't speak English or maybe who couldn't travel and also the problem was coming back to Israel that the guide dogs here in the US were trained in English and that sounds a bit silly but if you think about it Israelis speak Hebrew and everything happening around them is in Hebrew so it was actually very very complicated and a lot of blind people just couldn't get a guide dog in those days. And also
0: not to mention as well I I don't actually know completely what Israel's quarantine laws are but I'm guessing if it's like the rest of the world the dogs wouldn't have just been allowed straight back into the country either.
10: The the process was complicated, okay, let's say that. And one of the things that our founder Noah Brown wanted to do was to simplify that process and obviously do what we do, which is help the blind people gain their independence back with the trained guide dogs. So tell us a little bit now how the process differs especially with thanks to this new center first of all people who are blind in israel can approach us apply to us for a guide dog the waiting time for a guide dog has obviously reduced drastically from when you had to go abroad and the guide dogs are provided free of charge to the blind person so there's no charge whatsoever to a blind person getting a guide dog from us and training also obviously to use the guide dog and we are now producing and turning out around about 35 to 40 new guide dog teams every year Wow, goodness me. So, of course, that's going to hopefully ultimately help enormously the 20-something thousand
0: people that you said are affected by visual impairments in Israel.
10: Absolutely, absolutely. And we're very excited. You know, this, this is really going to allow us to increase the capacity and also what you will see next year is we actually also are now going to be able to branch out into providing service dogs. So that's something that we've wanted to do for a long time. And what that means is we're going to be providing dogs to people with PTSD, that's post-traumatic stress disorder, to people with epilepsy, with autism, and other special needs. So it's a really, really incredibly exciting time for us to be able to expand our outreach and our help of the various disabled communities in Israel now. I don't want to put you on the spot, but just out of wild curiosity, because we're very
0: lucky here in the sense that guide dogs are very much a fabric of society. You know, they're woven into the fabric of society in the sense that you'll see on shops signs that say no dogs allowed with the exception of guide dogs. However, in Israel, for something that is still, I suppose, relatively, if not a new concept, it's an uncommon concept. Would you say that they still have a bit of a way to go as far as making exception for guide dogs or is it just a natural occurrence there
10: now that they also have got pretty much freedom to go wherever? We have campaigned extremely hard in Israel and we have actually in the last few years changed the law or had our lobbying, our lobbyists, help to change the law in the Knesset where a guide dog is now allowed into every single public space. So they're allowed into shopping centers they're allowed into coffee shops into restaurants onto buses which again yes as you say quite rightly here in the uk we're just used to doing that and i must tell you there is never a moment or there's never a trip when i've been in israel and been with one of our blind clients and their guide dogs that we haven't been somewhere and someone has said no you can't bring that guide that dog into here and we've said to them yes actually we can because it's a guide dog so the problem is that there is a philosophy, there is a change of philosophy and culture that needs to be conducted. And that's also, again, that's one of almost our our outreach programs at the Guide Dog Centre. And it's working, though, because you see the perception of Israelis is changing. Can you tell us a bit
0: about your, I suppose, personal experiences from some of the clients that you've met with? Tell us a bit about how it's made a difference to them. What kind of examples of that have you seen in their everyday life?
10: First of all, a blind person in Israel, in the UK, anywhere, will be anyone and everyone. They come from all walks of life. Obviously, for us in Israel, there is a percentage of them who are injured soldiers who have unfortunately become casualties during an operation. And then there are also, as I said, everything and everyone. So just now, I've just met one of our clients, Ruth, who unfortunately, in fact, was blinded during childbirth. And we've given her a guide dog in the last two, three years. I met a wonderful guy called Boaz, who unfortunately was injured in a martial art accident. And I also met a uh, ex-soldier whose name is Achia, who was actually blown up in one of the tunnels in one of the Gaza operations. So you see, there, there's a massive, broad spectrum of people. And what I find in all of these people that I meet, first of all, they are true inspirational heroes to me and to everyone, in that... They've been blinded in whatever way, but they're willing and they want to pick up their lives and they want to get on with their lives. And I think it's that desire for independence that really is almost the strapline for us. And we say that we are giving these blind people back their independence. There's going to be people listening to this who are going to want to know how
0: they can get involved and what they can do to help, if anything. How do they find out more about
10: you and your organisation? We have a very nice website, which you can find at israelguidedog.org.uk. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter page. Please follow us. Please sign up and tweet and, and, and do whatever one does on social media. We also have a wonderful Sponsor a Puppy program where you can get involved by sponsoring a future guide dog and sponsoring one of our puppies in Israel. And again, you can find out more on the website or by contacting us.
11: You're listening to The Jewish Views, and this is The Jewish Schmooze, the part of the show where studio guests join me, Clive Roslin, to discuss matters that you've been hearing throughout the programme so far. And joining Tony Honigberg and me today are founder of Mitzvah Day, Laura Marks, and newcomer, photographer Avi Vachman. (laughs) The subject for this edition is based on the news that President Trump has formally recognised Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, reversing nearly seven decades of American foreign policy and setting in motion a plan to move the United States Embassy from Tel Aviv to the fiercely contested Holy City. The question is, is the President saying what Jews around the world have thought and felt for years, or are we concerned about the ramifications of such a statement. Avi, let's start with you. Being of Israeli origin, are you pleased that Donald Trump has made this declaration?
12: I'm a bit torn between the desire to hear Jerusalem being recognized as uh, the capital and anything Trump says. It's a problem for me to uh, accept what he says. I don't like, usually whatever he says, I would think the opposite. So that's why I'm torn, because uh, on the face of it, this is a very nice thing. But because it's Trump and not someone else, I'm a little bit reserved about about it. My excitement isn't that forthcoming.
11: Well, in fact, what Trump has actually done, in my opinion, I hasten to add, is that he's made things a lot worse about a possibility of having a two-state solution and all the other political things to do with Israel.
12: I don't know. It's, it's the early days yet. I think it's only, he's only done it. And this is the sort of thing that you would only see if it was bad after a time. It's too early to say, in my opinion, whether it's uh, positive or negative.
11: All right, Laura, what
13: do you think? So I, I don't have a problem with it because Trump says it. I have a problem with it because I think it's going to lead to a lot of pain on both sides. And yes, I normally disagree with Trump. And in this case, I disagree... But not because it's Trump. I, I I feel I feel very anxious, very worried that this will lead to a lot more pain, a lot of violence, a lot of anxiety, a lot of broken lives on both sides, and unilateral decisions rarely, in my opinion, lead to great solutions. So I my initial reaction to this is. Not really to do with Trump. It's much more to do with: is this going to genuinely lead to peace in the area, and are both the Palestinians and the Israelis going to end up safer, more secure, with happier lives? And and I and I worry about that. Well,
11: I personally believe that it's going to make their lives much worse. I really do. What do you do?
14: Think? You, do you think that if someone else would have said it, it would have made any difference, or would it have just been the same? Let's say another prime minister or president of another country said it would it have made any difference than trump saying it
12: for me massive massive if theresa may would have said that
14: she recognises
12: that would have been absolutely great if obama would have said it it would have been great trump saying it is like because it's trump it's like britney spears uh, singing all along the watchtower for me it's either dylan or hendrix if britney spears did it i wouldn't even listen to the recording Interesting,
14: but that's because you don't like Trump. But in fact, it would have been. Well, that's just... what I'm saying. I, th- I think there's a lot of people who don't like Trump, and that's why I. But wonder... no, if Obama
11: had said it, it would have had caused just the same problems as Laura's just been saying
14: there was in the in one of the news items that came to me and I can't remember which country it was one of the African countries presidents stood I think it was Ghana stood up and said we also recognize Jerusalem as being the capital of Israel based on but he wouldn't have stood up and said that before Trump said it
13: all this is doing is telling us that the world's going to polarize even more you know so some people are going to say this and some people are going to say that but ultimately we're not going to get to a solution until everyone sits down and talks about which it. which is
14: the same case we've had all For the last 70 years,
12: exactly. I mean, we're always going to be polarized. If it's Jewish issue, it's going to be it's It's a polarizing issue. I mean, if says Asav hates Yaakov. That's an axiom. And you can argue with that. But the the truth is, it's true. It's been proven over the years, no matter what we do, no matter what Israel does, it's always going to be a problem country. So I don't know if this specific declaration is the thing that's going to make a problem. It might be an excuse, but I don't think that's going to be the problem. I
14: don't think it's going to make it any worse than it already has been, personally.
11: Of course it is, because they're already they're saying there's going to be another
14: intifada. Yeah, but they say that anyway. They exactly. would say, whatever you say, whatever anybody would have said about it, they would turn up and say, well, there's going it, to be another intifada. If
12: you look at who said that exactly, it's the head of the Hamas. And the Hamas are the people who control the Gaza Strip with an iron fist. It's It's a real dictatorship. And whatever they say goes. And if they say to the people, you have to now go out and demonstrate, that's what they will do. So it's really not See, pe- it's a Peter, hollow...
14: peace has never come, has it? When when they wanted the Gaza back, Gaza Strip, but when they wanted Gaza back, and Israel eventually handed Gaza back, didn't it help it didn't help anyway. There there still was no peace. And, the, and all they did, these people, they went in and destroyed all the Jew the where Jewish people had lived and all the synagogues and everything else. There still wasn't peace. So I think this is just an excuse. There has to be, and there always is, there has to be, in the end, a solution
11: to this. There's got to be. And clearly, it might take another 20 years, I hope not, but it might take even more longer. It might take another 70 years. I doubt it. I doubt it. But it, it, it might take another 70 or 100 years if... Trump gets away with this.
13: I think also, let's bring this back into our own reality, because it's all very well talking about international politics. But let's think about what's going to happen here in London, in England over the next however many months coming up. And I think that by making unilateral statements and by making unilateral policy like this, what we are going to experience here is a lot of people very unhappy mm-hmm. on both sides. And this is something that we really are going to have to address. You know, we we can watch all sorts of awful things unfolding over in Israel, but I think also we're going to have bad things unfolding here. And I think that when we are unable to sit down at the table and talk to people about problems when particularly when we're unable to talk about what's going on in the Middle East I think things get worse and worse you know these things will kick off and will it lead necessarily to solutions I don't know will it lead to easier relations I don't know but in both of them I doubt it
14: well, we all, know, we all know what it needs. It needs Jerusalem as the capital of both Israel and, and as the capital of Palestine. But the whole of Jerusalem, not split, not split into East and West, it needs just that whole Jerusalem area. Like, say, London is the capital, you know, it needs a whole Jerusalem to Look, be the from, capital. From, from the 1948
12: to 1967, when Israel was only in the West. Of Jerusalem. Well, because they were kept and always called aliens. it its capital. Yes, and the world did not agree. Why? The the, the the Israel never said we we think all of Jerusalem is going to be the capital. It, the the eastern part of the city wasn't in Israeli hands, no. and yet the world did not recognize it. Also, you have the, these presidents who every four years are saying, "Yes, we are going to move the embassy." Yes, Jerusalem is the capital. So. It's a bit problem because Trump usually is the same person who said Nazis do bad things and the other side do bad things. Yeah. He's a bit of a yeah, you you don't, know, to, you don't know
14: how to take We really
12: you? really have to be careful when you gauge his I work. don't
14: see I don't see the American embassy ever moving there because I think at the next election that America has Trump won't get in and you'll have another president coming in. But actually let's face it Jerusalem should be an open, open city. city. Correct.
11: And it should be a home to both the Israelis and the Palestinians. And that is the only way that you will have a two-state solution and the only way in which you can have peace. Well, even with that,
14: I don't think there'll be peace because you'll still have the radicals, you'll still have Hamas and Hezbollah who don't want Israel there.
13: All of that's possible. But I think what's quite interesting too is that uh, Jerusalem is seen as a holy city in both faiths. Mm, In three
14: faiths
13: faiths and particularly in how we talk about it as the holy city Mm. and one would hope that a holy city is a city of peace one would hope so and i think that uh, what we have to strive towards is a, a a solution whereby jerusalem is able to be the center of a peaceful middle mm-hmm. east a peaceful israel hopefully a peaceful palestinian state operating alongside and i'm not sure that this is going to be the fastest way to a peaceful city
12: it, it, it might not be the fastest way it might be problematic but jerusalem is not the place that the Muslims pray toward. No, that's also true. They pray with their back toward Jerusalem. It's never mentioned in the Koran, not even once. It's, 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 it's clearly the Jewish city. And and the Jews Israel has always been very magnanimous toward the Palestinians, toward the Muslims, which was not the case when other people had control of the city. So I I don't think I mean I I lived most of my life in Jerusalem, and I truly believe that it's our capital and it's only our capital. I don't know how the uh, the, poli- the situation will be solved or be addressed, and this is definitely a, a, a an interesting moment. I use this understatedly, but. I, I, I can't see it mean as much to them as it means to us. But well, this, uh,
13: this 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 the one-upmanship really doesn't help get us very far. You know, there's more, I feel it worse than you feel it. You feel it worse than I feel it. It's more my city than your city. I can't see that leading us to a solution either. And Jews may feel very close to Jerusalem. You know, I, I may feel very close to Jerusalem as a Jew, mm-hmm. And many Muslims feel very close to Jerusalem too. And, and I, so do
14: many Christians.
13: And so do many Christians, absolutely. I mean,
14: it's, uh, home so, to all three. Of, uh, as, of as we said religions. earlier on, it should be an open city and capital city yes. of both Israel and the Palestinian state. Yes, absolutely. It will, there will be a two-state, of course there will be a two-state eventually, but it's, it's when, it's waiting, and how long do you wait? But, but you'll, still have, you'll still have the radicals because you, you've got them everywhere.
12: I think that one of the problems we have, and it's probably connected to this in some way, is that our leadership, our political leadership in the country is not a very good one, and it hasn't been for a while. I don't know other countries that have their former presidents and prime ministers in jail. And I think that it's not maybe as bad as it was when Olmert and Katsav were leaders, but it's not very good now. Our leadership is not good. If we had a strong leadership, I think things would be a bit better, even in this in this subject as well.
14: I think the unfortunate part is that well, we're only talking about groups here. We're talking about Hamas. We're talking about Hezbollah. We're talking about Iran. We're talking about uh, lots of these countries who don't want Israel to, to exist. And although the majority are peaceful, it's the minority we'll make noise. who make more of the noise. And the majority, correctly... Want peaceful life and don't say anything and well, sit in the background. Of course, and get what's, on. what's terrorism? And terrorism that is a very small everywhere.
12: minority of people. Happens here, doesn't it? Right, exactly.
11: But it happens to a much greater extent mm. in Israel. Mm. And Palestine, yes, much greater extent than it is here. Anyway, I'm afraid there we are. We we have to leave it at that point. But my <laughs> thanks to our guest, founder of Mitzvah Day, Laura Marks, and photographer Avi Wachman. Please do feel free to share your Jewish views with us, and you can email us studio at Jewishviews.co.uk or you can contact us via social media. Find us on Facebook by going to Facebook com slash thejewishviews or on Twitter we are at jewishviewsuk and of course those details are on our website jewishviews.co.uk Well it's time now for our rabbinic thought for the week and this time it comes from Rabbi Jonathan Wittenberg from New North
15: London, Masorti Synagogue. This week brings the lovely festival of Hanukkah. I always enjoy watching the lights and thinking of the wonder that they represent. The question has been asked, surely the miracle begins on day two only, because in the story in the Talmud, the one vial of pure oil the Maccabees found in the desolate ruins of the temple did contain sufficient fuel for the first day, so the miracle should start on day two. But I think the miracle begins not not even on day one, but almost before the first day starts. Because think of their decision, Should we light or should we not light? There must have been those who have said, wait, we've reconquered the temple. Let's get a proper supply of oil so that we can continuously keep this menorah alight. Wait until we've got enough for the future. And there will have been others who said, we have enough for a single day. Let's make a start. And this to me is true of inspiration. It's true of the illumination, the oil, as it were, that we have in our hearts. One can say, Oh, I haven't got enough, or it won't burn for long, or it's not worth trying. I don't know what the future will bring, and do nothing. Or one can say, There's a small flame there. There's something that burns. There's the first line of a song. Let me start and then see what happens. And when a person of any age, or indeed of any faith, brings the inspiration that they have, however small it seems at first, It always lasts longer than you think. And other people take it up. Other people's flames come to join your flame. And that's the miracle, I think, of the Maccabees. It's about hope. It's about courage. It's about saying, we'll light the light that we have and we'll trust that the flame will grow. And it has. And that flame of of hope in times of darkness, that's what burns in our windows, every Hanukkah till this day. Thank you very much to Rabbi Jonathan Wittenberg with our thought for the
0: week there. And that's all the Jewish views we have time for. Thank you very much indeed goes to our guests, to Aaron Nissan from Peace Now. Thank you very much to Jewish domestic goddess Denise Phillips, as well as Jackie Van Loen from Matching Up, and of course, Martin Siegel from Israel Guide Dog Centre. Thank you very much also to our other contributors, to you at home for listening, and of course the team, including our producers, Tony Honigberg, Sue Greenberg, and Harley Baptist. You can always listen to the most recent edition of the Jewish Views by visiting our website jewishviews.co.uk where you'll also find the facility to listen to all previous episodes as well. Just before we go, to let you know that next week's program is going to be a special edition where we'll be coming from Hanukkah in the Square for 2017. So I do hope that we will see you there and more importantly you will join us next time here on the Jewish Views. We are of course in association with the Jewish News and a part recorded at the Studios of Jewish Care in London. I'm Phil Dave. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.